So good morning everybody and welcome to the 44th meeting of the Economy Committee and the final scheduled meeting for 2020. Um, and just uh, before we start it, I wanted to um, thank members for their very positive and constructive engagement over the past number of months. It's been a very difficult year um, and I think that as a committee we've worked very well together in terms of trying to respond to the, the absolute unprecedented nature of the crisis that our um, economy um, and we try to give voice to businesses and sectors and individuals right across um, the economy and, and respond and support those and I think the committee has worked very hard over the past number of months and we're willing to do what was necessary and there was absolutely no complaints from members even when we were asking for two or three meetings a week so I just wanted to put on record my thanks and I'm sure all members will um, agree with me that the, the committee staff has been absolutely brilliant uh -huh. supporting us so thanks to Too many text messages but otherwise all right. <laughs> you know you enjoy them. <laughs> very good. So thank you thank very you. much, much for appreciate the chair. So just moving yeah. on then, um, some members will be attending this morning's meeting via video conference and our witnesses will be briefing via video conference. The meeting will be broadcast live and a recording will be made available on the committee's web pages on the Assembly website. Um, just to remind members to, to mute their tablet devices by pressing F4. Um, so moving on then to apologies, uh, we have apologies from John Stewart. Um, and I think everybody else is already with us. Yeah. I think so. Yes. Okay. So I'll move to if you want um, to draft go minutes item number uh, two. Um, three. Might be three. Uh, sorry, item uh, number three. three. Um, there is a copy of the draft minutes of the meeting from the 9th of December at page 14 of um, your packs. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Read. Thank you. If you want to go back then and do chairs' business, yeah. start doing those. Okay, so if we go then to item number two, which is chairs' business, at page five of your pack, there is um, a paper from OCNNI um, Research paper. Um, it's skills and growth and social. Sorry, excuse me. Skills for growth and social inclusion. The committee has already under planned to undertake a skills micro inquiry discussion event. Um, in, at the end of January, the uh, OCNI plan to launch their research report on the 27th of January um, and our um, inquiry is the 28th. Um, so uh, they have invited me to sit on the panel and um, I'm happy to do that. So are our members content that, that I would do that? Brilliant. Thank you, Chair. Okay. So then... Um, Second item of uh, Chair's business, members will remember that we had a meeting, an informal meeting with the airports, um, not last Thursday, yes. but Thursday before. Um, you will also... Was it Tuesday, do you remember? It was, oh yes, I'm sorry, it was Tuesday. Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. Tuesday last It was the week before. Um, members will probably also be aware that the Finance Minister has recently announced a further 7.8 million of support for the airports. Um, so if members are content just following on from that meeting and the discussion that we had with the three chief executives that we would write to the finance and economy ministers highlighting the issues that were raised including um, APD, PSOs and route development funding yep. and indicate that the committee's findings in the macroeconomic outlook special report which was approved by the assembly last week highlighted the importance of air connectivity for the recovery and rebuilding of our economy. Yeah, Chair, I think that meeting was useful. I think we were all shocked, I suppose, to realise that the, operate, the 
airlines or, or the airports are operating about 20% capacity, yes. which is really drastic when you think, you know, the knock-on effect. There's little or no movement. One, one flight I understand to London out of the city airport every day, so we really are on our knees as far as our connectivity. So I think we, to be fair, we welcome the support that has been given through the finance minister to the airports, and I think it's, it's much appreciated from the feedback we've got. So I think that needs to be recognised, and uh, it was very timely and appropriate. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you. Okay, so moving then to 2.4, um, at page 7 of your table pack, there is a um, key issue summary from, for the committee from the department. Um, there was an updated SITREP email to members yesterday afternoon, and I'm sure we'll go into some of that with the Minister when, when she joins us. So, so, Chair, we're hoping to get then those have been um, um, kind of unpaused, if you like, and we'll get those then every week as we previously did. Um, just updating. Yeah, just, it just summarises everything in an easy table. We got, we've got Paul. That probably means them. Want to go back to the okay. ministerial briefing? So we're going to no, move now to item number four, which is the ministerial briefing. And if we can bring Paul into the spotlight, please. Um. <coughs> Yeah, the there now. Okay, so... Paul, but that's not the Minister. Okay. <laughs> um, Chair, I think the Minister's PS is trying to call me. Okay. Bear with me while I take that call. Um, and someone might want to sing Christmassy songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, to do I, that. What's, we've got we've got Paul. Paul's on. Oh right, okay. No, he, he appears to be in, 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 in looks like an office. Okay. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's awful. So mm -hmm. it's dead, completely dead. The minister is in Netherly, Paul is in Adelaide Street. So that's where the issue appeared to be. So the minister's group are now joining. Okay. Theoretically. Okay, so then um, we'll just move to item number four, members, um, and I'd like to welcome to the meeting this morning the Minister for Economy, Diane Dawes, the Permanent Secretary of the Department for Economy, Mike Brennan, and the Deputy Secretary, Economic Strategy Group, um, Paul Grocott. So if I hand over to yourself, Minister, to make an opening statement, and then we're going to open up to questions from members. Thank you. 
Okay, um, is everyone hearing me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This is a bit strange for me. I'm much prepared for talking to people um, in person, but I'm first to hear today. Um, so, good morning, everyone. Um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to update you on what I and the partners are doing uh, in the rebuilding on the Northern Ireland Economy. There is still no idea that it has wrecked havoc on our economy. Business and financial planning firm, supporting businesses by contributing towards the cost of an advisor to carry out an analysis of strategic review of business. At the same time, we've also launched the Terms of AI Business and Financial, 
that I support program to assist tourism businesses in their recovery process. Bright aims to support tourism, local high street businesses, and limited company directors are also under development. Developing these initiatives has been a monumental task, but they have provided vital support to those who need it most. Recovery requires a monumental effort, one that neither I nor my colleagues in the department would shy away from. However, we must work within the constraints of a challenging departmental budget given the very poor financial settlement of the Northern Ireland Block Grant of 2021-22. The reality is that for my department, a flat baseline going into 21-22 represents a real terms cut of 15%. This is due to the existing model of pressures of 54 million, which include 34 million COVID financial deals and the removal of EU funding of which 70 million is required next year. This is not a sustainable way to support economic recovery. While departmental settlements are yet to be finalised, it is clear that this will be an extremely challenging settlement for my department. The proposed allocation clause is significantly short of what the Department of the Economy will need, and it is to seriously lead the work to begin economic recovery. And I will value um, the committee's support. Um, as we seek uh, additional funding um, within the budget settlement um, and, of course, uh, throughout the year um, and various monitoring rounds. Economic recovery will continue to be a priority in the new financial year. EU exit will potentially have an impact in relation to our protocol costs. We believe that around 12.5 billion will be needed to fund the Northern Ireland Protocol out of our base in 2021-2022. And that does not include the cost to businesses that are not protocol specific. There's also a need for significant additional funding to right-size the department and support the additional work being taken forward, delivering economic interventions and supporting economic recovery with COVID-19. Additionally, the impact for my department is provided due to reliance on funding. ESF and ERDF programs historically funded substantially within our policy unit. There is currently a lack of agreement on EU replacement funding at a national level. In initial indications suggest that the UK share of prosperity funding will be significantly less than currently funded. Informal indications suggest 11 million for Northern Ireland. This represents a huge financial risk for the department's ability to support economic recovery. On average, EU funding is equated to around 100 million per annum across the department and its arms-length bodies, with bids for next year being in the region of 76 million. My department currently uses ERDF to fund invest in its innovation and research and development activity. In 2021-2022, this will require 19 million for research and innovation and, and further 4 million for selective financial assistance to SMEs. Investing as much for this activity provided within the 2014-2020 program has been exhausted. This is a very serious bill. These projects take time to develop and negotiate, and clarity on future funding is vital for that. 
The ESI program projects have been funding since March 2022. However, the uncertainties over the future funding, success and policy development has been impeded. The delivery organisations are understandably anxious. To mitigate the risks from both ERDF and ESF, we have been several times for COVID funds. In January monitoring, we submitted two bids totaling 40.6 million. Funding these bids would provide certainty for next year and allow time to negotiate a more substantial future settlement. As I like to you offered significant worrying developments that impact the my departments and most significantly than other departments. Coupled with the fact that the Northern Ireland economy will be in a difficult position in 2021 and will need more support and interventions than ever. I've written to the Minister of Finance detailing these concerns and copied that letter to executive colleagues. I'm also aware that the infrastructure minister despite similar concerns. I would urge you to do whatever you can to support the department's base for funding so that we can continue the vital work of assisting our businesses through this crisis and during the recovery phase. A successful economic recovery for Northern Ireland may well be the greatest challenge that we will all face in the next years. Um, can I say thank you and happy and continue the discussion. Okay, thank you, Minister, and I hope you can hear me okay. Um, yeah. <coughs> I think you have laid out some, some serious concerns there in relation to the budget going forward into next year and I'm sure members will be wanting to pick up on some, some of that um, as we go on. And members have agreed to ask one question at a time so we're trying to get around to everybody um, quite quickly this morning. I'm going to start with the, the support schemes um, Minister um, and we appreciate there is a, a lot going on within the department in terms of developing the schemes and a number of these have come on board um, recently as a result of funding allocations. I just wanted to start with the, the newly self-employed scheme um, and note that um, in the figures that we have got that 660 of them have been submitted so far and, and that, that is, is welcome. But we are aware that there are some people who are still excluded from that and I just wanted to get a little update from yourself in relation to, to, that, to those particular concerns. Um, and if there are plans to extend that and then additionally the uh, supports for the company directors and the wet pubs and I know you mentioned them in your opening remarks um, and I think it's seen on social media yesterday that the wet pubs um, support scheme you plan to bring to the executive this week so I was just wondering if you could give a little bit more information in relation to those two schemes um, I don't know whether hear me very well. I probably got bits and pieces of that, um, Kiva, as opposed to it all. Okay. So forgive me if I am I, um, um, not on the right track. So um, you asked about the self-employed scheme, um, and I'm presuming it's really around the criteria for yes. the self-employed scheme. So I, I'm going to just say some general opening remarks and allow uh, Paul or Mike to come in um, as they feel uh, the need to in relation to this. So the self-employed scheme uh, relates to those who um, were um, unable to submit uh, a tax form in the year prior to that, but who became self-employed from uh, March 
we have set an initial paper to be accepted on this, um, but it does require some work around eligibility. So, Paul, I want to uh, give you a fresh update on that. Uh, but the webcam scheme is, is pretty much ready to go, as is the large tourism and hospitality scheme, pretty much ready to go. Um, and we're hoping to get both of those out um, before Christmas. Company directors, Paul. Um, yeah, just to answer given that the, the, the nature of that population is quite a complex population to define. Um, uh, there's something around 32,000 in total, and um, so we need to find an eligibility criteria. Obviously, there's a need to ensure the move eligibility applies. So we're, we're engaging with stakeholders to ensure the eligibility criteria meets the policy term. The, the, the broad framework of the scheme is that we share that with executive Okay, thanks for that. And just um, a quick follow up. Sorry, if I'm okay, just to mention, sorry, just to say again that um, for the company director scheme, we had um, asked um, for a significant amount more than what we were actually allocated. So, again, this scheme will have to fit within the budget. That, that we are allocated. And I understand the constraints of that from local finance um, point of view, but also when you are designing a scheme, particularly when there's a large population potentially um, that could engage with the scheme, um, you have to also then realise that if they have a specific budget that is allocated to, um, and the scheme will have to live within the budget itself. <coughs> For that minister and just a quick follow-up on the, the newly self-employed um is it the intention to to go back to the executive and to to seek um an amendment to that and further funding well and then i'm going to see how the scheme develops progress as i say if there was to be um amendments or it would in fact probably require a new scheme um, then that would uh, require a new budget um, that would require us to identify another cohort of people uh, within that um, and so on. At this moment in time, I want to actually see how this scheme runs out um, and then we do the evaluation uh, and so on from there. Um, but everything, of course, is dependent on the budget that's available um, and, and uh, how that's been allocated to us. Um, also, um, Identifying that cohort of people um, is also important, um, and so on. So at the moment, we're on track, um, and the scheme looks as if it will broadly fulfill policy objectives and meet the cohort of people that the policy objectives of the scheme is going to meet. Um, and as I say, and I do remind everyone, this is the same scheme. Scotland ran, it is the same scheme that Wales have run, and it is the scheme that the committee asked us to implement. Um, okay, thanks for that, Minister. I'm going to go on to members and I'll come back myself later. Um, Sinead? Okay, th <laughs> thank you, Minister, um, uh, for your briefing this morning. Uh, can I um, probably move away just from some of the schemes uh, and uh, look at some of the issues around the transition? Uh, and could the, could the minister give us uh, a rundown on how ready she believes that we are 
um, on the run-up to the 31st of December. I know we got a paper today um, in relation to the protocol, but if she could uh, maybe articulate more in depth uh, and around the transition. Um, well, one of the things um, around this is um, uh, in this item, um, I think I'll take this to you. I take the view, and in fact, actually, our wider stakeholders take the view. This has been incredibly difficult um, to help businesses to get ready when, in fact, um, there has been uh, agreements on some of these issues so late in the day. So, in fact, I, I think it's today that the Joint Committee is actually meeting to ratify the agreements that Michael Rose spoke about in the House last week. Um, that may resolve some of our issues, but it doesn't resolve all of our issues. And that some of, some of the uh, issues uh, just pushes them down the road uh, a little bit. Um, so we broadly um, got um, to a better place on uh, NITGB uh, transfer of goods. <coughs> we have um, managed uh, to avoid the hard stop in relation to export health certificates um, and the import of uh, goods into Northern Ireland. Um, and uh, on the issue of chilling weeks, we've got a six month derivation. Remember, those are not terribly long amounts of time in which to see proper solutions to all of the issues. Um, we would like to see greater clarity on a number of these issues. Um, particularly around the trusted trader scheme, who can be part of the trusted trader will work, um, and whether or not it's fair to um, individual businesses that will be bringing uh, goods in, um, as opposed to the large uh, supermarkets, where so far much of the conversation has been around. So there's still issues to resolve on those big, higher level um, issues. And remember, of course, there is no derogation in any of this. Uh, around customs, that's where the Trader Support Service is absolutely vital and it is absolutely vital that it's functioning and working uh, and that uh, government uh, have ensured that uh, for the beginning of the year. Um, so higher level agreements help us and take us forward um, around all of those things. Um, in the meantime, we as a department have been uh, working with businesses um, and invest in life. We work in businesses in Ireland, as we discussed yesterday in assembly. I've been working with those smaller SMEs in order to help them prepare. And if you look at the Invest in Life timeline just for this week or for last week, you will see how many uh, webinars, how much advice, etc., was given out to businesses on all of these issues. Um, and therefore, there is the online. Uh, exit, EU exit resilience to the Brexit preparation grants, and all of this um, has have been working uh, with uh, our businesses in Ireland. But as I say, this is a very complex issue, um, and the lateness of the uh, agreements around this um, have, have hampered um, businesses. I must also say that many businesses here come across <coughs> the world, I would say. Um, have been so focused on trying to combat the impact of COVID um, and Brexit has been uh, difficult to take on the road then as well. Uh, and this has been entirely a complicated factor on the matter. Um, 
The other thing that will really help businesses enormously, <coughs> sorry, terrible needs in this room. Um, the other thing that will help businesses enormously, of course, is free trade agreement. And I have said repeatedly that an outcome that gives us a zero tax, zero quota free trade agreement would be an enormous help um, to us in Northern Ireland. Mike, do you want to come in on this issue? Yeah, so, as the minister said, uh, the investment of the investment and the and if this would be ready for the end of the transition period, then what the big one of the is whether it will be a tradition or not, so whether it will be a question, and it will be Can't hear, really. Can't hear, thing. Mike, can you speak up a bit? Yeah, can you speak up a bit? Yeah, yeah. Better, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I was just making the point that um, the Minister said invest, and I have been on investment a lot of time and resource in trying to increase uh, business preparedness. But my fundamental question um, remains unresolved, and that question is um, whether there will be a free trade agreement or not in place. Um, you can see why business is being constrained, um, and also, you know, uh, start the day around customs, they probably will sort of find the question that they have to address, and yet that one would be to answer. Just as a, a follow-up as well, um, Minister, in relation to preparedness again, um, there's a lot of legislation that will be required um, to be passed. Mm -hmm. Have you got any idea what the timetable of that is going to be in relation to uh, between now and the 31st of December? I suppose um, I'm asking you, are you a fortune teller? But, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's important that we kind of know what's ahead of us as well. You know, we have to prepare for a deal and a no deal. Uh, and I'm just wondering where the department is with that preparation. Okay, so um, obviously this department um, has a significant um, range of legislative amendments that have to be advanced. They are probably most disposed because the uh, departments can get ourselves. So, what we've been doing over recent weeks is triaging um, legislative requirements. And what we've been doing is focusing on what we need to have in place for day one. And we're pretty confident now that um, we have uh, covered what we need to to address day one pressures in terms of legislative cover. Um, and they can be by any the energy area. And I will make that we have a suite of legislation in place that will take you guys um, this cover on day one. There does, however, be a significant portfolio of legislation that has to be progressed pretty urgently and through January February time. However, some of that will be dependent on the outcome of the UK review and the Israeli place. Okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, can I just ask very quickly, there's, um, I think in the, the, the table we have, there's five SRs that were supposed to be passed by the end of the year, and one in particular in relation to energy interoperability um, that is um, quite significant, and it says that the department can't quantify the potential damage that failure to legislate will cause. Can you maybe just elaborate a little bit on that? I'm not sure, sure, but I think you're referring to 
let me just open it up here. Um, it's the one in black one. Um, Prints very small. Yeah. What number is it? This, it's on the dashboard. We can come back to it, sure. We, we can come back to it, Mike, when I, when I find it in my, my pack. So I go on to um, John O'Dowd. Can we bring John into the spotlight, please? Um, good morning. Um, thank you, Master, for your, for your presentation. Uh, Master, I want to just uh, move in relation to a COVID-related matter, but this time in relation to our student population. Several weeks ago in the year where I asked you about the Scottish Executive's initiative uh, in releasing 1.3 million pounds for the health and well-being of students, uh, and in fairness to you, you gave a very positive response to it. It's something that you were interested in. Uh, I then later followed similar questions to the Health Minister, and he again was positive in his response. I just wondering, has there been an opportunity for a meeting between your two departments, uh, and has that matter been progressed? The two departments, John, I know this is an issue that you're genuinely interested in, and so am I, because I think that COVID has had um, probably as yet an unknown, but I, I'm thinking for a devastating impact on mental health and well-being right across the community. And, and, and just as an aside, I decided to call the Talking to some business people, um, and the, the, the mood and I mean, the level of anxiety that can put that way um, is very, very high uh, among that population of people as well. So I think COVID has had a pretty devastating impact um, on mental health and well being. Um, so the department uh, mainly engages with the Department of Health through the, the coordinating role of TEO around students. So we are looking at students in the top home, students um, and on, on a range of issues and on the restart um, for uh, university uh, in the new year and working with the universities on that. You know that um, in the past financial year, um, I have been uh, formally and in fact doubled to over five million the amount of money that has been available for student hardship and to alleviate uh, that student hardship. We haven't had enough money on that level of funding um, and it is still adequate for this financial year, but I will not hesitate to look for further funding um, if we need it to add uh, to that. Um, for uh, hardship. Um, so therefore, um, the issue of hardship um, has been one of those factors that impacts on student mental health um, is being addressed. And if I need to, I will continue to address this because I do think it is really, really important that many of those students, my own uh, family included, find work in hospitality and support to augment. Um, their student ground work that they just simply have not had over the last number of, of uh, months. So the issue of hardship, um, I think, is being addressed, but if there is a specific need, um, I will, of course, uh, look at that. And I think within that is the issue of uh, well-being, which uh, the universities 
um, are also uh, addressed. And I know that we need to and also to help you do specific work around that. Um, if there are specific issues um, that uh, you think that we can do more um, with the student population uh, and with the university, of course, I'm happy to have a separate conversation and talk to you about it because I do think it is one of the most important issues for the press. My dear, what's the Of statutory rules, it's number six and says 
legislation um, may be required to deal with any inoperabilities um, in retained EU law once the scope of the protocol um, has been determined. Um, so just wanting to <coughs> understand what kind of contingencies are in place in terms for needing to put those SRs in place. Sounds like a washing machine. Mr. Chair, I hope you can hear me. I'm Mr. Minister. Did you give a brief um, picture in terms of the budget? Obviously, we're not too far away from uh, the start of the uh, 2021 uh, budget period. Uh, could you give us an idea in terms of pressures which are going to exist, but also some of the priorities that you are going to see finance to go into the next year? Now, obviously, that's an enormous cut 
um, to budgets at a time when uh, there are an enormous potential cut, sorry, potential cut, um, at a time when uh, the executive and this department has to prioritise economic recovery and the additional funds that we will uh, need for that. So I'm just talking about the baseline uh, budget in relation to that. We have um, already written out to the department's arms and bodies and asked them at an initial uh, start of this um, how they would cope with budget cuts of around 4% or 8%. Um, and we are waiting on those responses filtering back um, into the, the department. We have also, um, when um, we were looking at the spending review um, and looking at the three-year budget plan, which is now become obviously a one-year budget plan, um, uh, we were looking for additional funding for around 50 million per annum, um, which would help us to develop an economic recovery fund. And that's essentially um, important because we need to support business um, and innovation um, going forward. So that's the position broadly of the department as I propose within um, in relation to those figures um, or anything else that they want to. But the important thing is that we enter this period of budget negotiation um, that there are incredible pressures from the baseline budget of the department, never being the additional funding that we will require if we are to instigate economic recovery measures. And I think that that is hugely important. The last thing I want to say about in relation to the budget, and I think this is huge again, is the idea um, 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 that we need um, to future proof our economy by investing in skills. And we need that additional skills budget, which will help us to provide um, our people with the skills that they need to lead the future economy of Northern Ireland um, and in the right places and in the right um, areas for skills. And I do hope that I have the committee's support in saving them those additional funds in economic recovery, in skills, and in uh, protecting the baseline budgets of the department um, so that we can get on ahead and do the things that we need to do. But that's nice specifically to address the issue of um, Invest MI um, and its innovation budget um, because that is an immediate top priority. Okay, thanks for listening. Um, the commercialization is incredibly challenging and not just for this department, it be incredibly challenging for uh, all the world in the, in the executive. Um, just to give you a second and see what the challenge we step back and look at the Chancellor's statement of our state last week. Um, the outcome for Northern Ireland um, is essentially a, a, a best of flat cash settlement across the MI block. And we consider that uh, health, probably not considered about 55% of that, that Northern Ireland block. And the health inflation going from something like 6%. You can see that in Simple mathematics of the challenges that they rise ahead for the remaining departments um, in the NICS. So, I think there will be most anomalous and reasonable health and health effects that will have to be normal in the remaining departments, cost in the other departments. The Minister 
Socialist Department that mainly had a, a cash balance where they were eight hundred twenty million pounds. And the ministers detailed that we have inescapable pressures of somewhere in the order of 125 million pounds, and that covers the inescapable pressures. And more importantly, and the lack of uh, continuation of EU funding going forward, and the fact that the Sheriff's Party fund and will not sort of replicate on a time to time basis what was committed on the EU funds. That's a major concern, particularly for this department, probably more so than the other department. ESF and ERDF for things like RD innovation and apprenticeships. So that's a profound policy challenge for this department to have to address. And what that will mean is, and because Iceland based NI and makers as well in advance of the financial year, and because of like, the reliance on EU funding and will diminish very significantly, not completely. And when the revenue will cover what's called EU funding deals in future years. And um, I expect a position now, I was talking to the event and I worry about this morning and I made the point of them. I think that in my example, a position now where they have to stop any business going forward because they will have nothing to cover. As the Minister said uh, a few weeks ago, um, I would like to uh, the Department of the Online Colleagues, the universities, the MA colleges, invest in I. Asking them to give their projections of what 4% and 8% budget cut would be for the department. More I've looked at the numbers instead, I think um, I should have gone for more draconian scenarios. Okay. Um, 8% isn't the worst case scenario, and depending on how well negotiations go. The fundamental point here is um, that if everyone is genuine about the need to invest in economic recovery going forward, you have to resource that. So that's just going to be met by warm words. And as the Minister said, you know, we have plans for on somewhere the order of 50 million pounds per annum just to try to address economic recovery. That would have been an to our flat line, flat cash budget position, not an 8% cut or something worse than that. I'll just pause there. Um, can I just add though that in terms of the EU funding piece of this, we are not on our own. We are in a common position with all of the other regions across the United Kingdom. So that um, when I talk to my counterparts in Scotland, Wales, um, and indeed uh, individual MPs across the North of England, um, they are, their regions um, are in exactly the same position. Now, I, I know that the Executive Finance Minister and I have all been working. Um, with the uh, national government to try to rectify this position. Um, and I, I would hope that we would uh, get some play in rectifying the position. But I just want to outline for the, the committee the seriousness of the situation, the need for support in ensuring that we get the appropriate budget um, allocation, um, and indeed the need uh, for recovery funding. Um, as well. It's a huge issue going forward. We cannot take this economy into a new place if we are not funding uh, it. As Mike says, foreign workers won't really do it, um, and we do need uh, to provide uh, the funding uh, that will give leadership to the economy uh, and confidence to businesses to go forward. Thank you for that, Mr. Thanks, Mike, for uh, those contributions. I think you've outlined very clearly 
taking it serious and changing that we are uh, facing that we want to do anything but as a committee it is important that we will do inquiries and it's an important work we need to ensure that we lend our support as well to ensure the, the finance and the resources that you require to do the initiative that you want to do uh, that's there for you so as a committee I think it's important that we uh, do all we can in the, the coming months to ensure you get the necessary resources thank you for that Thank you. Um, thank you, Minister, for, for joining us this morning. And indeed, a word of thanks to you and your officials for, in the last couple of weeks, um, engaging with representatives from excluded NI again uh, to help you refine the schemes which you've just been rolling out. Uh, that has been very helpful. Um, but the reality is we could have done this a very long time ago. Uh, and you have, in fact, spent most of the year thrashing around in the dark, uh, trying to work out who to support uh, and how to do that. But, Minister, today there are still people who are remain excluded. So can I ask you what actions you intend to take to mop up those areas that are still excluded? And also, what action you intend to take to provide a, a fast, quick appeals mechanism we're getting a lot of people coming to us um, who are in the, the, the LRSS scheme who are saying um, that they're not being that they are not um, getting funding yet you know a neighboring business or somebody else who's in virtually identical circumstances to themselves are uh, and they just just they find it very very difficult to understand why they're not getting support at this point in time so can I make an appeal to you to get a very quick appeals mechanism up there, or at least a way for people to get answers to their questions. That could have been and should have been best served by a hotline or inquiry line. Um, again, too little, too late, Minister, but uh, we, we learn by the lessons of all of these things. Um, and just very briefly, taking us into the future, and I'll roll two questions into one here, Chair. Just taking us into the future, Minister, where do you see us in the next financial year? While we still have to balance health against economy, um, I was listening to the, to the former Governor of the Bank of England this morning who, who made it clear that governments will have difficult decisions to make in the next uh, financial period as they balance health versus economy and that they will have to take the brutal decisions that there will be some businesses which quite simply are not going to survive this and will have to be left behind because they are currently uh, pleading for support. Um, so, uh, first of all, Stuart, uh, thank you for the questions in your own individual styling. Um, I would also say that I am the question around in the dark about anything. I'm only dealing with the schemes that I'm asked to bring forward by the uh, executive, and when the funding for those schemes has been provided by the executive and the finance minister. And hence, we are doing what we are doing at this moment in time. Um, InvestNI has an online for the COVID restrictions business support scheme. Um, I have talked to many of my constituents and they find the helpline to be very um, efficient uh, in trying to work through the problems uh, that they have. Um, and I'm glad to say that um, we are well on target, on target uh, to actually uh, pay um, particularly Part A of the scheme um, out um, before Christmas. The, of course, the 
the payroll restrictions for scheme is the Department of Finance scheme. So if you want um, to uh, address your questions to the Finance Minister in relation to either a peace mechanism, a helpline or anything else, then uh, you should be free to do so. Um, and that's um, equally important to say. Um, I'm happy to answer questions on the schemes in this department runs, and I'm happy to take responsibility for them. That's my job, but um, I would direct you um, to the Department of Finance in relation to your query around fees, um, helpline, etc. Um, I would also, um, in litigation, say that um, unless you've been involved in devising schemes, um, that have to be done quickly um, and uh, there are less protections than you can around public money. These are extremely difficult things to do. Um, and uh, my department in particular, which has been responsible uh, for having so much of the schemes, and indeed um, up until the recent schemes, we, we are actually proud to say that we have over, we've helped over 32,000 businesses in Northern Ireland, businesses that might not have been here and they have not received the help that they have received. And we will continue to engage with businesses to make sure that we are looking at uh, what might be the gaps in the funding and how best we can address them. Um, so it's important uh, to get those facts uh, uh, straight and it's also important to direct your queries to the appropriate department. Um, can I also say where do I see the economy uh, as being um, in the next year? I think the next, the start of this year will continue to be extremely challenging and extremely difficult. Um, and I, I will say that in any light way at all. I say that with a heavy heart, knowing the impact of businesses, having talked to many businesses uh, across Northern Ireland. However, I am hopeful that with the rollout of the vaccine that we will um, start to see a pickup. And I noticed actually um, the Ulsterbank survey which was um, uh, sent out this week, which says that for the first time in many, many months, that business uh, confidence was higher uh, and more positive than it been for a significant period of time. But there were still very significant challenges, but that actually businesses um, were more confident about the future, <coughs> and that's uh, important to note uh, as well. Um, we will continue um, to work to support businesses in the impact of COVID, but we also are going to continue to plan for that new economy for Northern Ireland. And still, the four tenets of um, that that we uh, looked at in the rebuilding the stronger economy are still relevant, are still there, and we will continue to work with those. We'll also continue to work um, with the agri food sector, and I hope to announce some um, uh, further work around agri food um, in the very near future. We will continue to work um, around uh, clean energy, not just about the sustainability of the environment, but also about how we can produce prosperity and jobs in Northern Ireland. We will continue to support the digital sector and those uh, startups from that sector. We will continue and hope to roll out uh, the program City Deals um, throughout Northern Ireland, which I think are an exciting uh, development uh, for the economy and part of our 
Norwegian uh, recovery plan. And of course, it was also really good. Um, this morning I was listening to news um, and I heard um, the CEO of Church of Ireland um, indicating that from their research, actually people were looking forward to travelling um, and perhaps around the summer um, of uh, this year. And we want to get those marketing campaigns right, particularly in the Republic of Ireland, in uh, GB, and indeed with our international operators, so that we can once again welcome people back to Northern Ireland. And also, if you come to the opening in terms of context, we can give us promise for something um, for Northern Ireland. I think that is another piece of the product that James saw that we need uh, to build to attract tourism in Northern Ireland. So, while we have certain difficulties and challenges, we will continue to work on that. I think that we have very, very good long-term prospects, um, and we will also work on focus in the next. But I'll go back to my budget um, work. We need the ability to do that, and the appropriate finances to do that. Just very briefly, Minister, given that, given that most businesses don't understand the difference between your department and the Department of Finance, and that two departments operate different schemes, are you not actually a bit ashamed of sitting in your bunker and silo? Assembly members should the understand the difference between could, two departments. Could you and the Finance Minister not get yourselves together and have put together a common programme which would have delivered uh, the answers to the questions as to businesses for both departments? And I would put exactly the same question to the finance minister as well. Odd, I haven't heard you do that. Um, I would have to say that I understand why uh, when members confuse schemes, how the general public will also confuse schemes. It's the general public I you are confused. I am very proud of the work that this department has done. We have risen to the challenge of uh, helping businesses in the most dire and unprecedented of circumstances. And we will continue to work faithfully with businesses and with the wider business organisations to address the challenges that they need. All I ask is that members address their questions appropriately. That way, the general public will not be confused. Thank you, Minister um, Gordon. Thanks, Chair, and thanks very much, Minister Mike and Paul, for your contribution. I think we all genuinely recognise the amount of money that has been put out in grants and support to businesses. And small businesses and large businesses have all got access to it. And those of us that are proactive in our constituencies will be very much aware of that. And um, yes, there's been problems, but a lot of work has been done. And I think it's put, important we put that on the record. The Department of Economy, Department of Finance and the various agencies have worked continuously right through from February March right through this whole year, delivering support for businesses, which has been unprecedented, that support. And I understand what, with 300-odd million, Minister, maybe you could clarify the latest position, but the amount of money has been unprecedented, and in the main, has been very much appreciated by those businesses that got it during their time of need. My point just is on tourism. How do we get tourism fired up in the new year, the spring, the summer? We're looking forward to it. Um, what sort of initiatives have you in, in, in train to, to try and stimulate growth and trying to get our airports and so on back in business? Can we get some information on that, please, Minister? Thank you. Um, so, I, I, I thank you um, for your comments around uh, the issues of support 
corporate businesses. It is very important to me. Um, and I spend a significant amount of my time talking to the wider business community um, and to business organisations as to how you can best support businesses, not just in response to COVID, but in uh, our economic recovery. And that's uh, incredibly important to me. But it's more important to families across Southern Ireland where we can retain jobs um, and uh, boost uh, the economy and people's own standard of living. So, tourism, um, again, um, I don't think we can ever underestimate how difficult it is to be uh, for tourism and the wider hospitality um, industry over the past year. They have suffered big lockdowns, um, measures that are required to keep people safe within uh, their uh, businesses, and it has been incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, we now have um, a, a, a new campaign from Tourism Ireland um, about renewing and restarting, redesigning, and rebuilding tourism. I look forward to engaging with that. Um, in uh, the past year, we spent uh, around £700,000 in uh, a marketing campaign in GB, Gun Ventures Ireland, uh, under the message I expert logo, specific to Northern Ireland and attracting visitors from GB. And again, uh, when we look at all of the information that Tourism Ireland has, um, we will be in our first um, start or impetus to tourism um, from uh, either the GB or the ROI market. So it's really important that they are able to resource um, both tourism MI and uh, tourism Ireland to work in those markets initially and then to go out um, to the broader markets um, to encourage tourists here. Again, I was encouraged uh, by uh, the research, findings of the research, where um, it's always indicated that there are friendly people and people being comfortable coming uh, to be amongst us, and that particularly the North American market are keen to get back to traveling uh, to Northern Ireland. I look forward to those days. And I actually look forward as well to being able to uh, go out um, and visit uh, these uh, destinations and encourage people to come to Northern Ireland. We also have um, initiatives that are ongoing uh, around tourism. So we will uh, have the, the voucher scheme. Um, we have had some initiatives around helping tourists and businesses uh, to reboot um, and to look at the needs that they particularly have. Um, and those are extremely important. Um, in helping uh, tourism going forward. Um, some uh, both yesterday in the chamber talked about events tourism. Mm -hmm. Events tourism is really, really important uh, in not just having the event and the, uh, the, the flow from the event, but many of these events leave uh, legacies uh, within Northern Ireland. And I'm really looking forward to getting out again and engaging and seeing where we can um, bring back uh, some of the big events to Northern Ireland. Again, um, sign a bit like Northern Ireland this morning, but events tourism is, is, a, is brilliant to do, but requires significant budget uh, in order to do it. 
Northern Ireland centenary is a year uh, in which we can encourage people to come uh, to uh, see the progress of Northern Ireland, to really see how uh, Northern Ireland has grown, developed, uh, and moved on. Um, and we want uh, to encourage people to come to Northern Ireland. Uh, okay. Just uh, a couple of points, briefly. Uh, we dropped out. She, no, no, I think we're still live. Still live. Just a couple of points, just on the uh, hospitality, the hotel sector, which we have lobbied on for some time. I understand there's support pending for them. Is that the case, and will it be coming through very soon? And uh, just on the event, tourism, I think we'd fully support that. We're all very much aware of the... The, the Open Golf Championship that was such a great success in, in North Antrim. And um, I'm sure you're aware as well, Minister, I know you are about the, the bid for the World Rally Championship next year, which is hopefully will be on your table very soon. And I hope you keep progressing that and find the appropriate money for it. But uh, there is a great spin-off from all these events, and I think it's important that we, we keep that to the forward event tourism and, and the impact it can have. So the, the answer to your first question yeah. around the large uh, tourism and hospitality scheme, that scheme is pretty much ready to go um, and we will be bringing it to the executive uh, very soon. We've engaged extensively um, with the stakeholders in relation to that. And this really applies to very large uh, tourism and hospitality businesses um, that um, we're not able to access the tail in the 25k, i.e. an LAP of uh, 51.000 plus. Um, so that is pretty much ready to go and will uh, be offered reasonably soon. The issue around events tourism. Events tourism, as you know, is one of the things that um, has given Northern Ireland a high profile in tourism. It's brilliant to actually go to Galvorm and the Irish Open um, and to hear how people, even in the most difficult of circumstances, delivered uh, a really great uh, golf tournament and how much better it would have been were we able um, to have had uh, spectators of that. Um, so, when events tourism is all dependent on the budget that's available for that tourism. Um, and again, um, I would seek your support um, in uh, having a distinct best choice budget. Thanks very much, Minister. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Minister. Uh, the Minister is uh, too much of a professional to rise debating, uh, but I'm not. Um, I find it incredible that a member of the Economy Committee would sit in this committee and use the phrase, some businesses will have to be left behind. I'm sorry, I just don't think that that's our function as a committee. I think our job is to be supporting businesses. And the only reason why these schemes are in place and why businesses are in the trouble that they're in is because of political decisions that have been made here on the Hill. Uh, can I ask the Minister what the cost of lockdown has been to the economy thus far? Look, um, I will ask my uh, 
to explain this um, and go through it, but we all know that we um, have to keep people safe um, and that we are in the middle of a health pandemic. But you also know that my very firm view is that the best way to progress our economy is to have our economy open and safely working uh, again as best we can. I accept that there are very challenging times ahead, um, but again, I am uh, choosing to be hopeful in that I think when we roll out the vaccine, um, that we can uh, recover lost ground, particularly our tourism and hospitality uh, and for many businesses that we will continue to support them to do so. My floor is yours. Um, and some of those, including some people um, sitting around this table who advocate for continuing with keeping the economy in lockdown in the coming months will be coming banging on the Minister's door, accusing her of not taking enough action to protect jobs. So I think they can't, they, the Janice-faced approach that there has been from some people in relation to these issues is really quite something. Can I ask, I've seen that there was a paper published recently in relation to the assessment of likely job losses when the furlough schemes come to an end. I think was the figure somewhere between 45 and 100,000 people likely to lose their jobs. And I'm just wondering, have you? is it simply a median? Do you just put it in the middle and we're looking at potentially 75,000 job losses in Northern Ireland? Yeah, that, that, that's one possible scenario, but there's a number of very external services. For example, and the degree to which the local economy remains locked down in the first quarter of next year. Instead, we have 450,000 still in Burgos, Burgos came into the end of March. Yeah. And 75,000 individuals in some form of landscape. If you get to the end of March, the economy still in the same way, the region lockdown, then you can see that the, the labour market will not be good. That's why it's really disappointing as soon as 
freedoms are announced and people are told that they're going to have a, a more relaxed situation. You have a government minister jumping up the following day to say that further lockdowns in the new year are, in his words, inevitable. Um, can I ask, since this started, how much money in total has the Department for the Economy bid for and how much has it received? Thank you. Um, can we bring in Claire, please? Can we bring Claire into the spotlight? Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mr. Um, I want to support when the first staff for if we are anticipating um, any further lockdowns or restrictions in the new year. Um, where are you moving towards uh, businesses advising you in the best way to do that? Because, you know, I, I, do remember, I, I met with a number of businesses in my own constituency last week and was quite impressed by some of the safety measures that they had put in place. And indeed, any of the recent lockdowns or restrictions that we've seen doesn't necessarily seem to be working. So is there more of a strategic plan um, in, uh, in shutting down particular businesses? And, you know, what, what, what can we look for or what, what can we see in the new year around that? And, and how are you being advised you know, uh, to see all the various businesses and what they're doing and what they can do to create infection? Well, you raise an absolutely excellent uh, point um, and one uh, which um, I raise uh, on a frequent and regular basis with my executive colleagues. Um, I think that the issue, and I am not the expert player on the transmission of the virus, I am not the expert, um, but from what I see and, and the conversations we have had is that um, even though we have uh, reduced business activity and closed a number of businesses over the last number uh, of weeks, yet we still have um, either a plateauing and now an upward trajectory um, in the transmission of the virus. So if something is not working in relation to all of that. Um, and like you, um, at times I have been uh, bewildered, uh, annoyed and stressed out by the fact that many businesses um, take uh, enormous steps uh, to try to ensure the safety uh, of their customers uh, and their employees, yet those businesses are targeted uh, on a regular basis uh, for closure. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, there are issues around what's all I speak to myself as well, and those are issues around personal responsibility. Exactly. Those are the issues around simple advice that we can all do and all do around masks, space, around washing our hands. Those personal responsibility issues um, that we need to take. Um, and there are also the issues around compliance, which I think that messaging, which I think um, have hit a very, very difficult space. Um, and hence, then uh, we resort um, to uh, the closure of the economy. You know my view on this, that uh, opening and closing the economy in a cycle of lockdowns 
is very damaging for the Northern Ireland economy. It's damaging for the prospects uh, of businesses uh, and damaging uh, for individuals and their families. Um, but they have got to balance the health implications as well. There are no easy answers. There are literally no easy answers. Um, and I have seen um, my colleagues um, uh, angst and, and anger and um, frustration um, over uh, the current situation. As I said today, I'm choosing to be a more hopeful face, and I think that with the rollout of the vaccine, um, we can get the economy back on track, um, as well as supporting businesses through uh, thank you, Minister. And I was just trying to pick up on the point around messaging and compliance. Um, my experience for now in the constituency, I think most people want to comply whether they agree with the restrictions or not. But I think the difficulty that they're having is knowing what the control has been. The messaging has been quite thorough on them. I think that we're confused. You know, I used to be with this day on a daily basis. I think children we need to make it clear for the people that it matters to. Um, you know, putting it into regulations is not for Joe Public in the sense that they don't know how to interpret or read legislation. NI Direct hasn't been great either, and it doesn't deal with the significant variance that people will certainly ask, and certainly the MLAs on the ground were experiences, and I don't necessarily expect you to check every box, but, but I think there does have to be some sort of a connection with people on the ground to understand what questions they're asking, and I'm not quite sure that's happening, and I think that's where we've had an issue with compliance. Yeah, I, I, well, I haven't been. Some of these points at the general executive meetings, um, but I think messaging um, will help greater compliance, people understanding why they're being asked to do something um, and do it in a particular way. I also think that they all also have to. Um, exercise personal responsibility. And don't think that we can escape that um, and, and everyone uh, cannot escape that as well. I mean, it, I, I'm happy to take these general messages uh, again, Claire, to the executive, to the executive, to the executive. And if you want to drop me in, I'll just drop me in and ask tomorrow's executive. Very, very happy to do that as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Claire, and thanks, Minister. Um, Minister, just a couple of members want to come back in, but could I just ask a, a brief question? Um, the the two uh, CRBSS schemes are due to close um, this evening, and um, I was just wondering if you think that the uptake for Part B in particular has been a little lower than you would expect, and if there's any consideration to um, potentially extending that deadline. I find that extremely difficult to hear. Um, Paul, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you got that here? Uh, I think the question is about the, the deadline that is that the scheme is clearly about part of it, not whether they're to 400, so, um, is a number that we're expecting. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, um, in relation to part of the scheme, actually, um, one of the things that I had asked the and I to do a couple of weeks ago was to go back out and cite individual examples so that we could help people to understand more clearly the target group uh, or the scheme. But uh, again, um, we will be happy uh, to look at that. 
It's due to close this evening, so we was just asking if there's any potential for looking at extending that deadline. Is that eligible? There certainly is the potential to extend it, um, and, and we can have a conversation about that. Um, I think probably as well, um, we, we need to look at what further executive positions are um, in Okay, thanks for that. Um, Minister, I know you're due to leave us shortly, but we have two members looking back in, if you, if you have a few minutes. Yes, no, it's fine. It's, it's all of a sudden I spoke about the connection scraper. No, there was a momentary flip on a chair. Hopefully it's corrected itself. Okay, we're hoping that it is corrected. Um, can we bring John O'Dowd into the spotlight, please? Uh, thank you. Just a quick question, Minister. The Education Ministry, as you'll be aware, moved to change the disconnected to A levels and AESs in response to the COVID pandemic and the disruptions of learning. I asked him, or one of my colleagues asked him, about the BTEC examinations, and he said that that's a matter that falls under your responsibility. Have you any plans to make changes to the BTEC courses in response to the disruptions of learning? Um, so, many of the BTEC courses are, are run through um, English exam boards um, and we will be continuing to engage with them to understand what they are doing and then uh, we will disseminate that information um, down through colleges. I think you know that we have gone to considerable lengths to adapt teaching uh, and to try to make sure that those young people who have practical courses that they need to follow and they need to be on site can be on site to do that. We will continue with that. But I must say, I mean, I think that um, it has been an extremely difficult and challenging uh, year for uh, young people who are anticipating exams in the near future. But we need to continue to engage um, with uh, the boards uh, in order to assess whether or not. Okay, thank you, Minister. Um, and on the 2nd of December, Richard Ramsey uh, briefed the, the committee in relation to the proposed voucher scheme uh, and the potential for the economic impact it would have. Now, he, he indicated that um, it would very much depend on the objective of the scheme in relation to what economic impact that it might have. So um, the, the scheme at that stage of design stage was very much about the high street and giving the high street a lift, uh, particularly those businesses that uh, seen a, a, a 
downfall, <laughs> a crash of their business during uh, the lockdowns. Um, so I was just wondering, Minister, have you given it any further consideration what the objective of that scheme is uh, and what the eligibility criteria is? And also, have you worked out who is going to get the vouchers? And have you worked out the timings? Because I'm also concerned that the vouchers need to be spent by March. Is this going to be a run to get money spent uh, out in the community and perhaps have another spike like the Eat Out to Help Out scheme? Um, so it's, it really is just try, trying to balance the value of the scheme um, uh, to those that it's intended to help support. Uh, and uh, what are your thoughts now on the design concept of the scheme? And have you worked out what your uh, true objective is on giving that money out to the public? There are um, some range of complexities with the scheme, Sinead. Um, but uh, you'll understand with the new innovative scheme that we are working on this, almost daily um, working on this, and um, people in the department have been tasked solely to, to put this scheme together. And I reassure you um, and uh, people in general um, that, of course, we will take health advice into account. We don't believe it ourselves in the Department of the Economy, um, and we will, of course, take health advice in the public um, and see um, where uh, things are uh, as we progress towards that stage. The policy intent of the scheme is absolutely clear, and that is to support uh, retail and high street, and I use the word just high street in the loosest term uh, possible, um, but the um, other objective is to ensure that, uh, that this is money that is spent supporting local businesses and local towns across Northern Ireland and it will not be available for online shopping. That's um, the clear policy intent uh, of the scheme uh, and that hasn't changed and I haven't changed my mind on that um, altogether. If you look at uh, what retail have been through, um, it's been an incredibly difficult period for retail, not just in Northern Ireland, um, but right across the British and indeed right across uh, Europe. Um, but it's also been incredibly difficult for hospitality. So I will be supporting the high street in the list of sense of the term, um, but it will not be available for online shopping. We're working through the complexities of the scheme and we'll make announcements in due course. Thank you. Can I just come back there, just uh, on the back of something that you said earlier, Chair, in relation to Part B of the the, the support scheme? I think that the, the problem with the pickup on that, uh, Minister, is about the eligibility. It's the criteria itself. Um, you know, even if we ran it for another week or so, it's not going to have. It's not going to help the uptake of it. It's because the criteria was so narrow, and I think that that it was a mistake leaving out the taxi drivers, that sector particularly, uh, in that scheme because um, that sector, you know, we were kind of led to believe that, that they wouldn't be excluded. So if it was opened up again or you were seeking to extend it, it would be, uh, it would be advisable to look at the eligibility so that uh, those that have really been affected uh, in the supply chain um, and the downturn that has taken place, even though they weren't mandated to close down, that they are also um, able to apply for support. Uh, and that's been the problem with this with the scheme. We only had about 31 uptakes in Derry City for that scheme itself. So that tells you all uh, in relation. You need to know about that the, the eligibility and the criteria for that scheme. It wasn't just uh, wide enough. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Thanks, um, Minister, thanks very much, and thanks to Mike and Paul as well. I think you have painted a very um, challenging picture in terms of the, the budget going forward into next year, and in particular around the replacement for EU funding. And I suppose many of us would never have expected that the British government was actually going to live up to the commitment to replace the, the EU funding like for like, but it's a very, very challenging picture that, that we're looking at, and I'm sure yourself, along with the, the Finance Minister and Executive colleagues, will be making the case um, to the British Government for additional funding, um, and certainly we, we will be supporting that. Um, but just to thank you again for being with us this morning, um, and I know Mike is staying on. So. We're going to move into closed session um, to discuss an item with Mike. So, okay, okay. So, um, thanks, uh, members, for that. Um, just to, I suppose, briefly follow up on the discussion with the minister. Obviously, there was updates in relation to um, the, the various supports that are uh, either open or are coming on stream very soon, and obviously, we'll be all waiting to see if the the wet pubs support scheme is um, announced later this yeah. week and, and the other ones in relation to large hospitality um, yeah. and um, we'll be keeping an eye for those. Um, I, do, I suppose to give members the, the opportunity to um, raise any points. What's that? I don't know, somebody's phone was ringing, perhaps in the yeah. office. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose just the, the picture painted by the Minister and the Permanent Secretary in relation to the budget was very concerning. Um, and um, I, I suppose the Finance Minister laid that out after the spending review, that it was um, not a, a good budgetary picture. But I suppose in particular, the, the issue around the, the replacement for the EU funding is, is very concerning and the number of programmes that are dependent on that. Um, I would be... Peter suggesting that potentially we write to the British Chancellor, um, expressing our very grave concerns over both the replacement EU funding, but also the ability of the executive to be able to um, generate any sort of economic recovery on the basis of the, the budget that we've received will be limited. Um, and this is a time for um, economic stimulus, not austerity being mm. imposed uh, upon us um, to, to pay for the, the very much needed interventions that we've seen over the past year. So if members, Chair, members are content. Yeah, yeah. content. Okay, thank mm. you. Or, or Stuart's looking yeah, to Chair, I just agree with you. There were, there were really two issues coming out of the meeting with the Minister this morning that would require red flagged. One was her, her comment that there would be significantly less funding than that which was expected from the Prosperity Fund. And as you say, that was very... Uh, starkly highlighted by the finance minister in the house this week. I think the other area that needs to be red flagged is a very serious area of concern when the permanent secretary said that we are now at the stage where legislation would have to be triaged or triaged um, before the end of um, the, the withdrawal period. That, that seems a very scary prospect. Who's doing that uh, triage? Uh, can we see their traffic light list? Um, uh, and should perhaps we or others have an input into what should be uh, the top priority? Chair, the, the um, EU legislation dashboard um, that members have in the pack with the ministerial briefing is the most up-to-date traffic light system. In that, you'll see there are, I think, it's either three or four um, in black, mm -hmm. three, three or four uh, SRs in black. Those are ones where 
there would have been expected to have been outcomes and negotiations by now. That's what's being triaged. So the, the, the process that I'm aware that's used is that's done in conjunction with the department developing the SR and TEO because obviously they, um, <coughs> if you like, they're, they're the, the, um, the, the channel that, that all communication kind of goes through and they're the coordinating unit on that. So I think that's what the, the Chair, it's what you had raised and it's what the, the um, Permanent Secretary was referring to. They know what they need to do, um, but they just don't know the context. So it's very much going to depend on the context at the end of negotiations. the negotiations. Mm -hmm. But my assumption would be that they will, part of the triage process will be that they will work out a number of scenarios. Um, the department all along, Chair, has indicated that they have um, planned with a no-deal scenario in mind. Um, where these particular um, SRs are important is because they're around energy. And obviously there's a requirement to keep our... Um, I suppose to, to, to say it very bluntly, but keep the lights on. That that isn't isn't a concern in terms of what the protocol has set out and the acceptance that there's an all island energy market. But it's just making sure the legislation's in place, um, and that's where the triaging process is at the minute. So we have our insight into that through our dashboard. But as soon as as those become available, the department will send them on for committee approval. Um, so we're as involved as we possibly can be, and the work is ongoing on that. But it's it's just dependent on, I suppose, the next week or ten days. Chair, does that require that to come through the committee here? I mean, this in theory is our last meeting before. So the I guess that's that particular question that we were asking around that group of SRs. Yep. Technically, um, Chair, they're likely to be negative resolution which means that they can be made and then there's a grace period, obviously, as members know, where the committee can review and bring a prayer of annulment. So in a case of an emergency, uh, they can be made breaking the 21-day rule. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a process that can be massively speeded up. Um, and they would be generally for continuity purposes. So what the department has suggested is that there won't be new... Um, um, th there won't be new policy change. It's just continuity of what's already there. I suppose we always expected that was going to be the case with the energy market. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really just the, the literal physical outworking of it now. I think continuity areas are probably reasonable. Yeah, I, I think, Chair, that, that was one they, they flagged up right from the beginning and it's one they've put a lot of work into. So I, I think the department's ready for the minute they get... Um, a final pin down on what the deal is and it, it shouldn't interfere with this. There's always been a, an understanding on all sides that this was an, an all-island energy market that would not be interfered with and was necessary. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's, that's, I think that's the positive outlook. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And Mike did come back with a written briefing around the contingency from the energy leaders today, so hopefully we'll be at that. Okay, is, have any other members any comments they want to make in relation to the Minister's briefing? Okay, so where do we go now, Peter? Matters arising. Matters arising, yeah. 5.1 then at page 52 of your pack, um, there is the clarifications from the Minister around the newly self-employed support scheme. Um, and obviously we discussed that with her during the briefing. 
Um, we have already raised our concerns around it. We, we have heard there today um, how she views it can be taken forward. Um, and I guess if members were content, we would look to support that, that call in relation to um, extending that out. Chair, I think, uh, as you say, the Minister had, had clarified that if um, the, the NSESS was to be extended, it would probably mean a, 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 an additional fund that would require uh, executive budget. Um, I think the Minister you know, was, was very clear on that, that the, the money that was there has already been earmarked in the existing system and modelled to deliver on that. So if there was additional... Um, issues around people who weren't getting access to that scheme, it would have to require a further amount of funding being put in, put in by the executive. The committee's already written um, to ask for further flexibility when gaps um, are identified with those that might not be able to access the, the first, this, this iteration of the scheme, particularly around the dates we discussed before um, as to when people started being self-employed and the 50% the criteria around having you know, their, 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 their earnings have to reflect being self-employed. So that's already in, in with the department now. We've, we've written on that. Um, and then secondly, um, the next item is in relation to the um, corona or COVID restrictions, business support schemes. And again, we have um, discussed that with the Minister, so unless members have any additional comments to make. Can I just raise something, Chair? Um, there, the, in relation to the COVID restrictions, there is, um, well, it's not in line with the rest of the restrictions in the UK, and it's takeaways. Takeaways can't deliver after 11 p.m. And I'm just wondering why, can we ask the department why? Um, because, I mean, takeaway food, yeah, I think we have a letter. We, we have a letter about that as well. well. So that'll is, is, is it not the logic that um, off licenses have to close before eight o'clock? Basically, if you're able to order takeaway food after eleven, it may encourage people to gather in homes. Mm. That, is that not the logic of it? There's that's, a lot of night workers. Oh, as I absolutely well. agree. Yeah, I think they should be able to, but I think yeah, I suspect that's the logic. You no, know, if you're working. Um, if we maybe hold the discussion on that with, until we Did come we to, the to the letter, so unless Claire, you're coming in about the COVID ones or, or takeaways. No, right. thank you. Chair, just to flag up, um, as with you know, is the case at the minute because we've generated so much correspondence. This one is slightly out of date. Uh, the minister has given us more up-to-date figures today. Uh, this was a number of letters crossing, um, so the just just to be wary with members in terms of the figures. Minister gave an updated set of figures today, so those figures are just slightly out of date. Yeah. Okay, so 5.3, then there is the department's response in relation to unemployment figures. Um, we had requested that mm -hmm. at the 25th of November meeting, um, and we discussed that with the, the minister this morning as well. Um, in the, the paper, it has highlighted that there were 249,000 furloughs in the north by August. 41, uh, sorry, 51,400 were still furloughed at the end of September, um, and additionally, 78,000 self-employed individuals accessed the first um, income support scheme, and 70,000 claimed the second. Um, we also see in the the paper that the claimant count has doubled from pre-COVID levels, um, with 60,200 being um, in the claimant count in October. Um, 
There have been a number of redundancies and we've seen that yesterday in, in the media as well. Um, 1,240 in October alone would be in the highest, um, second highest monthly total on record. And um, there are, are modelled unemployment levels within that paper as well. And uh, this was obviously discussed with the minister. So it's um, to highlight those and um, less members have any additional comments they want to make off the back of that. I think it just demonstrates seven years of economic growth has been wiped out in seven months. And I think and I think that we just need to prepare. Um, this is this is in advance of people coming off furlough, um, and we're going to see a real um, uptick on those figures in the next three months. I think we have already highlighted issues around furlough, but perhaps it will be warm in again just emphasising the need for contingency post furlough um, and. The fact that there will be sectors that even come the end of March and potentially looking at whatever scenario we might be in that may still not be able to bring people back. Chair, I'm, I'm wondering would that be worth writing that to TEO because that will take executive coordination um, and executive funding, but copy it to um, all ministers. Okay. Great, yeah. Okay, moving on then, 5.4, and it's another one we've discussed with the Minister today, but it's in relation to the prepaid card voucher um, scheme. Um, at the meeting on the 2nd of November, we received the briefing on that, um, and we had agreed to ask for more detail on the specific costs, um, etc., in relation to it. So the response highlights that the charges would be incurred as normal for um, a card, so it's to note, unless members have any additional points. Great. Moving on then, page 76, 5.5, there is a departmental response regarding the job support scheme. Um, at our meeting on the 18th of November, members considered the current model for job support schemes and asked the department to provide an update on that um, and plans to respond in the longer term. So the response highlights the department's modelling. Again, it's to note, um, unless members have any additional points. Great. Um, then 5.6. Six. There's a copy of five the, 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 Sometimes the pack does that. It duplicates things. Uh, it has a mind of its own sometimes. <laughs> 5.7 then, page 100. There's a departmental response in relation to the apprenticeship recovery scheme. At our meeting on the 25th of November, members discussed the uh, apprenticeship recovery scheme and asked for an update on that from the department, including in relation to the retention and recruitment and any implications for funding, which must be used by the end of the year. Um, it's a very useful briefing document actually is so it is and um, again I suppose not unexpected in terms of what, what it has laid out about um, some businesses not being able to bring people off furlough as as anticipated um, so I guess it's one we'll keep an, an eye to and, and go back mm -hmm. to the department on um, at a later point unless members have any additional points. No, great. Okay, 5.8 then, at page 105 of your pack, um, Pivotal's report on education skills and training for young people aged 14 to 19, um, which, as we are uh, planning our micro-inquiry at the end of January, it will be um, a useful reference point for that, so unless mm. members have any additional points. No, it's an excellent report. Yeah. 5.9 page 10 of the table pack is a response from the finance minister in relation to VAT payable on PPE imported from the EU. 
Um, this issue has already been raised by the Finance Committee with the Minister and his officials are working with the Department for Economy. The Minister highlights that the British Government did not seek the extension for the North for the VAT-free period to the end of April 2021 as per EU members and that's why imports from the EU will, um, of PPE will attract VAT. So I guess another one of those um, unfortunate consequences. Um, but the Minister has highlighted that they are working on it. Yes, Chair, from what we understand, officials in both departments are seeing what kind of mitigations they can make. I think there's a lot of hope being put into localisation of production. Uh, that continues to ramp up. Um, so th th there's a hope that they can displace imports with locally produced PPE. Okay, um, 5.10 then, page 13 of table pack um, is Minister Weir's statement to the Assembly yesterday regarding the independent review of education. The paper references the 14 to 19 strategy, which also falls within the economy remit. The Minister's statement also relates to our micro-inquiry, which is happening at the end of January on skills, and that the special report and debate coming from that can help inform the Minister's policy development in this area. So it's to note, unless members have any additional points. Noted. Noted at this stage. Thank you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> item number six then is an SR um, 2020-305, the Gas Amendment EU Exit Regulations NI 2020. There is a clerk's memo at page 125 of your packs and at page 126 is the SR. Um, the Gas Amendment EU Exit Regulations 2020 will make a number of necessary amendments to the NI Energy legislation to ensure it continues to operate effectively from IEP completion day at 11pm on the 31st of December following um, the exit from the European Union. The rule will come into operation on the 31st of December um, and it is subject to negative resolution. So members are content, we'll put the question. Great. The Committee for the Economy has considered SR 2020-295, the Gas Amendment EU Exit Regulations Northern Ireland 2020 and has no objection to the rule subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules report. Um, item number seven then is another SR 2023-06, the Electricity Priority Dispatch Regulations NI 2020. There is a clerk's memo at page 172 of your packs and the SRs at the page 174. This statutory rule amends the Electricity Priority Dispatch Regulations Northern Ireland 2012 to confer with Article 12 of the EU Electricity Recast Regulations 2019. 2019-944. The rule will come into operation on the 31st of December 2020. Article 12 of the regulation relates to priority dispatch. Consequently, the department was required to amend Article 11AB of the Electricity Northern Ireland Order 1992 to ensure that domestic legislation properly reflects EU law. Um, we considered the um, SL1 and agreed it um, on the 11th of November. This rule is also subject to negative resolution, so if members are content, we'll put the question. Yep. Thank you. The Committee for the Economy has considered the SR 2020-306, the Electricity Priority Dispatch, Dispatch Regulations Northern Ireland 2020, and has no objection to the rule, subject to the examiner's strategy rules report. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Item number eight then is another SR, SR 2020-307, the Electricity Internal Markets Regulation NI 2020. There is a clerk's memo at page 190 and the SR at page 191. The Electricity Internal Markets Regulations Northern Ireland 2020 will transpose elements of the electricity recast 
Directive EU 2019-944, the Directive on the Internal Market for Electricity. This directive repeals Directive 2009-72-EC. The SL1 was agreed by the Committee on the 18th of November, so this rule is also subject to negative resolution and if members are content, we will put the question. That the Committee for the Economy is considering the SR 2020-307, the Electricity Internal Markets Regulation, Northern Ireland 2020, and has no objection to the rule, subject to the Examiner Statutory Rules Report. Who says Brussels issued too many regulations? <laughs> Item number nine, then, is another SR 2023-20, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Coronavirus Suspension of Liability for Wrongful Trading Regulations, NI 2020. There is a clerk's memo at page 240, and the SR is at page 242. Um, this statutory rule will, will restore provision in the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act suspending directors' liability for wrongful trading and extend the operation of that provision until the 30th of April 2021. ASL1 was agreed by the committee on the 2nd of December. So members of contempt will put the question. Contempt. Yes. That the Committee for the Economy has considered the SR 2023-120, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Coronavirus Suspension of Liability for Wrongful Trading Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020, and recommends that it be confirmed by the Assembly subject to the Examiner of Statutory Bills report. Item number 10 then is SR 2020-321, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, Number 2, Regulations NI 2020. There is a Clerk's Memo at page 250 and the SR at page 252. This rule um, makes provision to extend the duration of temporary measures restricting the use of statutory demands and winding up petitions introduced by the Act beyond their current expiration date of the 31st of December 2020. This rule extends these measures until the 31st of March 2021. It is subject to confirmatory resolution and a Members of Contempt will put the question. Please. That the Committee for the Economy has considered the SR 2020-321, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, Number 2, Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020, and recommends that it be confirmed by the Assembly subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules Report. Item number 11, then, is correspondence 11.1 at page 259 of your pact is correspondence from the Committee for Infrastructure in relation to the financial assistance for taxi operators. The Committee has written to the Economy Minister to seek support for taxi drivers. Um, we have also written to the Minister in some similar terms um, in relation to just general support and also the Part B of the scheme of the um, CRBSS. So unless members have any additional points. Okay. 11.2, page 261 of your pack is correspondence from the Committee for Infrastructure in relation to the EU Directive 2019-433. It's to note unless members have any additional points. Thank you. At page 263 of your pack, there is correspondence from the Committee for Finance in regards to Public Procurement Common Framework. The Finance Committee will keep members informed regarding the Common Framework. So if members are agreed, the Clerk will write to acknowledge and welcome this information. Thank you. 11.4 then, um, page 284, there's correspondence from the Committee for Justice regarding health protection regulations and highlighting the importance of the relevant minister to engage with their respective committees where the department contributes to or leads the regulations. So it's to note, um, unless members have any comments. Uh -huh. 
Um, and then we're coming back to the takeaways issue yes. now. Um, 11.5, page 288, there's correspondence from Domino's Pizza um, in regards to them raising concern about the 11pm curfew on the delivery of food um, in the context of the current uh, COVID regulation. Um, so, members, I think she, um, Claire wanted to come in on this. Hi, thanks, Chair. Um, no, just in relation to the comment, I, I don't entirely see the issue why we wouldn't be able to deliver past um, the, the prescribed time. You know, and I'm thinking in particular of frontline workers who don't work 9 yeah. or don't work eight. And, you know, maybe after a long day at work, they're forgetting food and delivery and all of that. Um, you know, so I appreciate Mr. Salford's points in relation to this give rise to house parties, but that in itself is okay. a breach of Sorry. <laughs> just to be clear. That is not my view. I was simply okay. expressing that that is probably the logic, but it is not right. my view. I don't think there's any logic in the position, just to be clear on that. <laughs> Sorry, Claire. No, 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 no,
Um, the proposed framework outlines agreement is it intended as an acknowledgement that it is in the interest of the four administrations to continue to collaborate closely on policy development in this area. The agreement seeks to establish light-touch mechanisms for governance, information exchange and dispute resolution that are proportionate and in line with the framework principles agreed by the Joint Ministerial Council in 2017 and endorsed by the Executive in June of this year. The um, common framework itself is expected in um, January. So the committee is informed that the common framework will not interface with the protocol and that this is a settled and non-contentious issue. It's not expected that the British government will diverge from EU policy in this area. However, it reserves the right to do so. Um, just to highlight to members that this, um, this summary is considered to be confidential at this point. Great. Um, there is in paragraph 3 of the paper, page 60 of your table packet, asks whether the committee wishes to scrutinise the common framework and if so, if it is willing to do this within the 21 day sitting day period outlined. Um, Annex C of the paper at page 65 in the table packet indicates that the Minister has written to executive colleagues to inform them she has approved phase 3 of this common framework. So um, I, I'm sure members are happy to nice they come yeah. Thank you. And unless members have any um, other points on it, um, we will also seek to engage with stakeholders um, around the common framework. Um, and also to receive a briefing from the department and share that summary with the EU Affairs Manager if members are content. Mm -hmm. Item number 15 then is another common framework summary, specified quantities and packaged goods. Um, at page 67 of the table pack correspondence from the Minister regarding the common framework and specified quantities and packaged goods. Um, the North has always based its weights and measures legislation on the equivalent British legislation, modified as necessary to reflect the different administrative and legal arrangements here. The developed framework reflects the current approach underpinning frictionalist trade between Britain and the North, enabling satisfactory working practices and affording protections to both businesses and consumers on the key principles of consumer choice, quality control, fair trade and consumer confidence. It's a non-legislative framework. Um, the committee is informed that the common framework will not interface with the protocol and that this is a settled and non-contentious issue. Bez engaged with the Food and Drink Association ANI and there were no comments offered by the deadline in mid-November. The summary again is considered to be confidential at this stage and again at paragraph 3 of the paper, page 70 of your table pack, it asks whether the committee is, um, wishes to scrutinise and if so if it's willing to do within the 21 day sitting period. Um, the Minister has also indicated that the devolved administration worked with the British Government to formulate the summary for the framework. So if members are content to, to scrutinise it within the period um, and also to engage with, to begin the engagement with stakeholders. Um, and if members are content, we will receive a briefing with the, from the department and share the summary with the ERA committee, as it will also be of interest to, to them as well as the EU Affairs Manager. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving back then to item 12, which is any other business. Um, John O'Dowd has indicated, Chair. Yep, go ahead, John. Uh, thank you, Chair. It's a map that just comes to my attention this morning. Uh, I have had a, a contractor on to me who is supplying self-employed workers from Poland to a contract in England.
from the 1st of January onwards, and he can't get information anywhere. Uh, and he's gone to the Home Office and, and different departments trying to get information as to how he ensures those workers will have access and be allowed to work uh, in England as self-employed contractors from the 1st of January. Is, is there any way the committee could write to the department or maybe to the Home Office and ask for clarification on the status of self-employed European workers coming into working contracts? Chair, I think we've had some um, continuity secondary legislation through that touches on this um, around people working via an agency or, or via an agent as the contractor would be. But I, I think it's probably safest to go back to the department and ask, ask for clarification as to how that will actually work in this situation. So if there's, if there's any correspondence that Mr O'Dowd can forward to me from the company, I can engage directly with them and we can just okay. see exactly how that will work out. Because I'm sure there was something, I just can't remember exactly what it was. Okay, um, Sinead. Um, uh, just uh, today in t a paper, I don't know which paper it is, but um, there's an article about Ulster Bank. There's rumours about uh, its exit, uh, and I think that that's going to have significant uh, repercussions here in Northern Ireland. Can we bring Ulster Bank in for a briefing and ask what's going on? Chair, yeah, I, I, I've understood there's been rumblings in the media for quite some time yeah. that they would exit the market in the south. Um, and now, obviously, that that has speculation has turned here as well, um, and I think there's a sale potentially as well. So there's a lot of issues there. Yeah. So if members are content, we'll request a briefing on that for clarification. Sure. If anybody's a, a customer of the Ulster Bank, they'll have had correspondence from them in the last yeah. couple of weeks, uh, indicating that from some date next year, we're as a I can declare an interest as an Ulster Bank customer uh, that. It, that although they will continue to use the name Ulster Bank, it will become uh, NatWest. Yeah, oh. there's talk about them coming out now of Northern Ireland. Uh, maybe the same area yeah. they're talking about. That, that might, Chair, that might relate to um, branch closures. I don't mm -hmm. know if members recall when the Santander merged mm -hmm. with... Yeah. Um, yep. They closed more branches than the left. Sure, we'll seek a we'll seek a briefing on that. Yeah. And Peter, we had asked around the banks more generally yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. to get briefing, and we had responded with the, the finance committee. Yes, the yes, who who kind of speak on behalf of banks. We we developed a relationship with them. If there are a number of banks that are you know that are the main banks here, and it would be useful to hear from them directly. You know. Yeah. If we could do that. Bank of Ireland are also doing a strategic review, which could incur branch close, closures as well. And that's all going to have an impact on our um, unemployment figures. I think um, this is, is yet another one of those accelerated trends um, where, where banks have reviewed whether a physical presence has been necessary. And obviously during COVID, there's been so much less contact, contactless payments and less banking physically and so on. So, yeah, there's a huge issue there. We, we get our, our um, we get onto the banks about coming in and briefing. Sure, I think it would be important. I know from our experience in North Down, a number of banks closed, with little or no consultation with anyone. And just there's an arrogance about it, mm. the way they've done it, and, and just told us that we're doing it, and, and there was, you know, no flexibility or no other options looked at. And yet where they are located in busy shopping centres, they are busy. 
you know, they've centralised a lot of their facilities, so there is still a market out there, although it has changed, but there's still a market for it, and people really do like, a lot of people out there still like going to the bank and, and doing their business directly with over the counter, and I think it's something we need to move on quickly, because my experience is they're, they're ruthless, and, and it's all about money and money-driven, and, and they, they don't care about the customer. In fact, some of in our branches, the Ulster Bank, are closed at lunchtime, which is ridiculous. And people have to stand in the street trying to get in. Like we need to get realistic. But no, I think we need to move quickly on it, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Gordon. Chair, thank you. Yes, go ahead, John. In support of all the comments of the committee around the banks. Now, but it also shows the importance of rural post offices. They also carry out banking services. Yep. Um, as part of the discussion, when we look at the rural arena, I've seen the rural uh, post office because they're losing the rural post offices, they provide services to rural communities, including banking. I think actually it's got to the point that there are so few banks about the place that this is no longer an isolated rural issue. So if you're if you're living in a housing a housing estate in the on the sort of suburbs of Belfast, your nearest bank is miles away too. Do you know so it has become a, a serious issue in terms of provision of banking services anywhere in general? Chair, that's maybe the other angle to pick up as well. I know members are probably aware, uh, more than most, because of constituency, that the post office has expanded its its range of, of um, mm. services around this and, and will allow you to bank on behalf of banks. Mm. Might be worth getting something from them as yep. well, actually, just to see where that's going. Yeah, that would be helpful. Go ahead okay, so um, members are happy. We'll, we'll request those, um, and that's it. So item number 13 is the time, date and place of our next meeting, which at this point is scheduled for the 13th of January. So um, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. You too.